around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Southeast Command. What's happening? Context Southeast Command. Delay that order. Context Southeast Command. This is the captain. Context Southeast Command. Get out of my chair. 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 We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons. Welcome to the Greatest Discovery, a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of the Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. All right, we made a promise to the people, Adam, that uh, we were going to come up with recipes for Tranya. Yeah. I am really proud of how close I got color-wise to what they Look show in that. this episode. I uh, It was a shot in the dark. I, I made this by mixing four ingredients that I'd never mixed in uh, this particular way before. And when I poured it out of the shaker into the uh, into my little glass here, I was delighted at how close I got. So you were aiming for verisimilitude. You wanted the look. I wanted the look. And uh, it's... It's a little different in the Carbamite maneuver than it is in the Picard episode that we see Tranya in. Uh-huh. And it also sent me in a different direction conception-wise because in the Carbamite maneuver, Tranya is clearly punch. It's in a bowl with a ladle and uh, you ladle some Tranya into a glass and you enjoy it. My favorite detail of that moment is is the shelf extending. Yeah, the the it, curtains draw and the shelf <laughs> kind of comes out. You can clearly you can you can sense the hand of the stagehand on that shelf. You and and it's slashing, Ben. Let's face it. Like there's a lot yeah. of slash going on in that punch bowl. Looks like a, yeah. a dangerous situation. <laughs> it's not a great storage system for a punch bowl full of Tranya. In the Picard episode, though, Tranya is in like a decanter. Mm-hmm. It's like a, and and I think that it would never put a de, a, a decanted like spirit in a punch bowl by itself. You would always make a make a a cocktail out of it. So that's what I did. I I uh, I stayed in my lane. I made a tiki drink. It's a uh, it, it's a an even ratio drink. It is one part uh, high proof rum. I used the plantation 69% alcohol by volume high proof rum. Nice. Uh, I used uh, I used banana du Brazil. I used ginger liqueur and I used lemon juice. So this is equal parts, three quarter ounce of each of those. Wow. And it came out came out really really close in color to what we saw in the episode. That it it looks great. I. I just wish you had a little mini punch bowl with it. It it fucking tastes great. I can't wait to make you one. I ran out of uh, creme de banane making it, though. Wow. I I have not had creme de banane in a very long time. <laughs> and I'm now thinking of the last time that I did. It was a big mistake. <laughs> I went into a different direction with my Tranya, and it was based on the reaction that the people had drinking it. Because there's that moment. Yeah. Sort of out of uh, the, the Princess Bride, where you're wondering, is the Tranya poison? You fell victim to one of the classic blunders! Who's going to drink it first? The floor is lava, the Tranya is poison. Yeah, it, it looks, the situation is fraught. But then, uh-huh. Kirk drinks the Tranya, and he is delighted by its flavor. He is clearly, it's not just the look of a person who is happy that it's not poison, I believe that James Kirk thinks Tranya is delicious. 
Yeah. And so given that it's the late afternoon, given that, that I'm, uh, I'm feeling a little bit draggy at the moment, <laughs> I thought I would, uh, I would juice up the energy level and go for something with, uh, with a lot of oomph and a lot of delicious flavor. So I made myself a giant double espresso martini. <laughs> and I've got it in my insulated mug uh, right here. Uh, if you haven't made one of these, fairly simple to do. Uh, shot of espresso, shot of vodka, and then an amount of a sweetened liqueur to your specific flavor. A lot of a lot of these you'll see out there are a one to one to one ratio, but I'll back off on the liqueur down by like half. So what I did is I, uh-huh. I used a half of a shot of pecan liqueur that I picked wow. up in uh, that I picked up in Nashville actually. Cool. Well, uh, we must drink, Adam. I hope you relish it as much as I. Cheers to you. Every time Star Trek pulls out the word relish, it's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> relish in your tranya. Yeah, the only thing... I mean, it's it always sounds threatening, too. Even though, <laughs> even though on the page, it's very nice. Yeah, yeah. And in the performance. Right. Well, uh, we are here to do a thing that we do occasionally on The Greatest Discovery, which is go back into the Star Trek archive. See if we can't learn anything yeah. about modern Star Trek by, by going into the past. And specifically, I'm talking about the original series shows. And, uh, and today, we have chosen the season one episode of the original series of Star Trek. It's called The Corbomite Maneuver. This episode opens, uh, you know, ship flying through space, and there is a, a fucking unbelievable shot from like the rafters above the set of the bridge, <laughs> where it zooms out from an ECU on Spock's finger punching a button back in the back of the ship to a wide shot where you can see almost the entire bridge. Like this, the zoom goes from like three hundred millimeters to like thirty millimeters. <laughs> On the lens, and then back to 300 millimeters as it zooms in on the hand of Whoa! Lieutenant Bailey, Dave, they call him, around the bridge. I I love this sequence, Ben. I loved it as much as you did. You know that there is a camera person fucking struggling yeah. to do this. It really looks like work. Just thinking about like the the like lens gearing on a lens that can do a shot like this. Right. Like there's probably like a like a whip that some camera assistant has to like swing all the way around like a 270 degree swing. If there's no whip, it is a very complicated hand job kind of maneuver on this yeah. lens to get that gearing to to go that far. <laughs> Fucking great shot. Yeah, like really caught my attention, uh, and and just I don't know, man. Like there's something so fun about the way they remastered these original series episodes they just like really richened up the colors they yeah it just looks fucking great it really does this the few times that we've gone back to the original series it's been a total delight uh for those reasons it's it's just a really beautiful looking show i think yeah just like looking at a screen with this many like blocked primary colors on it is is fun, you know? It feels like 50s Christmas 
like <laughs> like the sort of colors you would get during the holidays and mm-hmm. and everything's blinking the way the ship looks when it when it confronts the object in space like it, it's it's really wonderful to see it really is they are out on a deep space star mapping mission when uh, they run into a windows 95 screensaver mm. This was my pick back when I was saddled with a Windows machine. <laughs> I, I I never had one. We never had one in the house, so I would just see it on like the computer at uh you know on on a teacher's desk in high school, and you know you sit there just like hoping to hell that that cube would would touch the corner of the screen as it bounced around. It's a real be careful what you wish for moment because everyone's super bored about taking space pictures ahead of this. And then as if on cue, a thing to break the boredom appears and it becomes immediately not okay. It is a, an an object that they really can't wrap their heads around because they can't, they can't uh, divine a, a purpose for it. They're all Mac users. Right. (laughs) Like, uh, Give me a flying toaster. I know what to do. But what the fuck is this thing? <laughs> They're quite concerned. I mean, it's it's obviously governed by an intelligence because it slows down and stops in front of them. Uh, but then they try and steer a course around it and uh, no dice. It's not going to let them do that. This is a quality to a UFO that we've seen before in Star Trek, though much later. Like this is Encounter at Farpoint style inescapable object gameplay happening here, right? Totally, yeah. This, uh, I think, establishes the trope, right? Yeah, and it sort of teases it. Like, you see the star field and it kind of move off of center before moving back into center again. Teases you with the idea that escape is possible, but it is not. The theme to the show is is it is the only escape, and we get Spock eyes to that. Speaking of theme music, Adam, one thing I really loved in this episode was how whenever they cut back to this cube on the screen, it's its own, like, super intense, suspenseful music cue. I could have lived in the exterior shots of this episode for quite a while. I And, I, and they give you quite a few, too, but the remaster just really makes it look cool. Yeah. Uh I read that this is the first episode that we see uh, Leonard McCoy. First episode, we see Lieutenant Uhura. And the first episode that we see Yeoman Rand. Wow. They got rid of Dr. Old, huh? I guess so, yeah. They didn't need him for episode 10. Everyone's still grieving his death. When we cut down to Six Bay, which is where the captain is, he is doing his uh, his annual physical, which involves lying on an inclined table uh Treading, treading back and forth on this like wall-mounted device with his legs. I was laughing and laughing at this scene until I thought, and this is how it works when you watch original series Star Trek, I think, until you think about what it took to make. And then I'm like, well, how is he keeping his legs on those on those pieces of wood without sliding his feet off of them? Like, how is he getting believable pressure back like what's happening behind the wall my mind was racing with all the practical questions there are like a trillion sandbags on the back of this flat so that it doesn't (laughs) rock back and forth every uh every time he pushes on it with his legs and and poor bill shatner is like has like practical sweat happening 
He's he's yeah. really doing it. That's uh, I mean, that's what you have to do in a physical, right? You have to you yeah. have to push yourself a little bit so that the doctor can get uh, can get some measurements. You've taken one of those, right? You ever you ever wear the heart Walkman and then run on the uh, on the treadmill? No, you know, uh, we probably talked about it more on the Greatest Generation than on this show. But a few months back, I had a a heart scare, and I mm-hmm. totally thought that they were going to have me do one of those, and they did not. I was telling you that you were going to do one of those because yeah. I had been subjected to one. I was I was surprised that yeah that they didn't the, the the like hose that goes into your mouth and everything yeah I uh, I of course had to to undergo this procedure during a break from work so I had to go in there like in my work clothes and run on a treadmill wearing work shoes and like my boxers <laughs> very uncomfortable. Yeah. A lot of flopping around going on. Yeah, not good. My favorite music cue by far is when the captain sees that the uh sees that there's a red alert going on and like is toweling himself off and gets on FaceTime with Spock up on the bridge and Spock's like, Get a load of this cube and then the camera cuts to the cube on the FaceTime and we get the the cubes theme music. So great. <laughs> I love it. This is a bad scene for McCoy because it's revealed that McCoy saw the red alert status and muted it. Yeah. So this blinking light has been going on while while Kirk has been pumping away at this uh, at this wall bike. The first scene that McCoy is in is kind of setting McCoy up to be like the comic relief of the show because it's, it, Kirk walks out and McCoy is blathering on to himself about how if he jumped every time a, a light came on in Six Bay, he'd be a self-talker. I feel like if if all you've had up until now is Dr. Boyce, and what we've seen from the episodes, the Boyce episodes is what we've called them, you and I, mm-hmm. he's got the captain's ear, he's a trusted confidant, uh, he gets a little bit of he gets a longer leash because of the field that he's in, but he's never like he's never lying to the captain the way that McCoy just full on begins our experience with him <laughs> deceiving Captain Kirk. And I and I really wonder if you're if you're a Star Trek fan at this moment in time, very early on in the series, what you make of McCoy at this point. It doesn't seem like he's very likable either here or in the rest of the episode, really. Yeah, but it is like a kind of crucial character detail, which is that he knows that Kirk will not come and do this willingly and will find any excuse to get out of it. He's a for your own good doctor. Yeah, like like he's got him and he's going to he's going to get him through the entire thing and uh, before he before he lets Kirk run out of there and and go back to captaining. Which, which he does almost immediately. Like the emergency requires it, but like shirtless Kirk wearing his uniform around his neck, like he's in a Nantucket regatta on his <laughs> way back to to the turbo lift, is a look. Yeah, Kirk is a sweaty man, and uh, he's d- he does a lot of like um, get his shirt in his in both hands, then place a call, then like start talking to the person while putting his shirt on. In yeah. this, that seems very strategic and and practiced. Yeah, in a let's make let's make this guy the hunk of the show kind of way. I do want all my coworkers to see my triangle shaped torso. He's got hunky moves. 
Mm-hmm. It's like he doesn't even try and he does hunky stuff. I mean, young, virile Captain Kirk, shirtless in an original series episode is is a thing. Great mm-hmm. looking guy. He's a snack. He can get it. Yeah. Uh, Kirk, I love... I love how Kirk has just enough consideration of other people to be like on the turbo lift, pausing for a moment and going, do I have time for a shower? I should probably shower. <laughs> and then he asks and and the bridge tells him, like basically repeats the story that he got in Six Bay. And he's yeah. like, all right, I got time to change. <laughs> yeah. And what's crazy about how this episode spends its time is that we get the changing scene. Right. We get Kirk asking the bridge again for an update <laughs> to the report. The report, Ben, unchanged. Yeah, We're getting yeah. exactly the same report. <laughs> and it's, it's not and it's not them saying unchanged, it's them saying the stuff again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's there's such a chill pace to this entire episode, and it teaches you that right away. Like do not expect for this to be a rush job of a story. We're gonna we're gonna get an opportunity to just sort of lay back in the cut and experience yeah. it. Everybody's drunk. It's the '60s. It's not going to energize your adrenal gland, which <laughs> is a conversation that Bailey has with Spock on the bridge. Uh, yeah, Lieutenant Bailey has to apologize for raising his voice on the bridge earlier. <laughs> Spock uh, does bits on Bailey for having kind of panicked. In a uh, in a touch and go moment, right? Um, you know, Bailey is a character I was unfamiliar with, and definitely like makes himself the foreground character in many scenes. And it's I, it's partly in the way that the scenes are blocked, right? Like the camera is on that side of the bridge, so he's the closest to the camera a lot of the time when when we're in the wide shot. In the parlance of an improv crew, he is not a generous scene partner, I would say. <laughs> uh, this cube is a real puzzle. It uh, it seems like a solid mass. It doesn't seem to be, you know, crude in any way. It doesn't answer hails. It doesn't do anything. It just won't let them go. Right. It's irritating is what it is. Also irritating is Bailey, like, early and often suggesting that they kill it and... Spock is not the only one that drags Bailey in front of all of his coworkers. This is going to be a through line for the episode is people talking about Bailey and how maybe he's not right for the job. <laughs> Kirk reminds Bailey that he is not a uh, not participating in a democratic structure by being a crew member of the Enterprise. Boy, we sure see it later on in the briefing room where we get an elliptical edit They've been just holding in place for 18 hours and yeah. and they've started to fray the tensions. Uh, this is hour 17 of an 18-hour McLaughlin group. Issue one. <laughs> Where they're like, you know, Pat Buchanan is like pouring himself a cup of coffee. He's had to leave set a couple of times to go to the bathroom. They're all exhausted. They cannot reach an agreement about whether conservatives or liberals are correct. They're on issue 217. (laughs) Spock has an idea about what this thing is. It could be one of two things. Either it's a space bois, which which would make some sense because it's not communicative in any way. It's just like a space marker. Yeah. Or it's flypaper, which is a thing that they might be caught in, a form of a trap. Right. And you don't want to stick around for the boss fly. If you're caught in flypaper, that's how flypaper works, right? Yeah, there's an end fly. 
<laughs> yeah. After 18 hours, the decision is made. Let's try throwing her in reverse. Bailey thinks he knows what Kirk is going to say. And what he thinks Kirk is going to say is shoot it, shoot it now. Right. And Kirk big dogs him in one of the biggest big dog scenes I think we've ever gotten in Star Trek. Like, yeah, he jerks his leash super hard. Kirk makes the Picard big dog seem like a puppy in this episode when he when yeah. he does big dogging. It's it is big. The reverse plan is implemented and. I had a hard time figuring out what exactly was happening in this scene, like because because they go to warp in reverse, right? Well, I think also there is an issue with how they remastered it, and I don't know if this is trying to be faithful to the original episode or a mistake in the remaster. Because I I couldn't I was I was looking for this because I wanted to see if it was in the original, you know, like the originally aired version of the episode as well. But like the star movement continuity is off. Yeah, yeah. And it it makes it confusing what's going on. Like we never cut to the exterior and that's a major obstacle to orienting ourselves to what's happening with the ship. Uh, a quick cut to the entrepreneur warping in reverse would have been a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, this they're trying to get out of here and they they cannot get away from the cube and also it starts spinning faster and faster and getting closer to them and also emitting radiation that is getting closer and closer to a level where, you know, their shields won't be able to repel it any further. This is a kind of magic, right? Because this thing looks like the... Uh the bob on the end of a gesture's hat. It's very non-threatening looking <laughs> yeah. just by looking at it. It kind of looks like a like the easiest Rubik's Cube in the world. Right. But but let's talk about the ingredients here. We've got proximity changing. It's getting closer and that's scary no matter how friendly the object looks. Yeah. Uh, we've got the the music change. The music is changing the level of threat. Yeah. We're going closer and closer in our singles on the actors as we cut around the bridge and the right. the light cast on their faces is changing in a way that is like, it's very unflattering. And I think yeah. that that makes you uncomfortable, like seeing all these like extremely beautiful people uh, cast in unflattering light is, is off-putting. I bring it up because... Like, this is a challenge for independent filmmakers, and it has been forever, right? How do you make something scary if you don't have a budget? Mm -hmm. Like, these are the things that are available to you. Yeah. Anybody can afford a Rubik's Cube. Anyone can afford a close-up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they panic. Like, they, they, kind of, they kind of do what Bailey has been suggesting the entire time and, uh, and lick a shot at this thing, and it is fire phasers to commercial. It sure seems like the crew need sunglasses more than they need seatbelts because there's like two things happening, right? Like bangers are getting dropped, but also they're like covering their eyes. This thing is so bright and close. Yeah. Uh, I, one thing I love about original series is that when a banger gets dropped on the ship, they pretty reliably cut to another part of the ship to show that it's <laughs> also affecting people there. <laughs> I love that. I wish that was something that they kept using in TNG. Yeah, I think TNG earlier seasons did it a little bit, but eventually they were like, all right, we know that the banger is 
also hitting the people in the hallway, but like the cast of extras in these hallway bangers, like there's a lot of scenes with bangers in this episode. And there's one scene later on where there are like sustained bangers getting dropped on them. And it's the same people in the hallway every single time, like the same set of costumes. Like, it's very funny. Like they definitely knocked out the hallway bangers in like, you know, like right after lunch, we're going to do all the hallway bangers. Then we're going to go to uh, the scenes on the bridge. That's a wrap for hallway bangers crew. (laughs) (laughs) We come back from commercial and uh, the entrepreneur is uh, floating in space, no cube around. And, uh, and they're, they're looking or looking around They're They're not detecting anything coming at them. So, uh, now they have to decide, like, is this a part of space we want to keep monkeying around with? Do we do we want to, uh, you know, do we want to risk running into another cube or do we want to uh, head back to safer waters? And uh, the decision is made like, no, I think uh, I think we should probably keep keep exploring strange new worlds and new civilizations. I love how willing this episode is to sit in the moment of this decision like this is this is an essential science fiction slash Star Trek question. Like, do we keep going forward? Right. It is dangerous. What happened to us feels like we got away with something. Should we turn back now? Right. And I love how this episode doesn't shy away from that idea. And it feels like very few episodes of Star Trek ever do really consider whether or not they should keep going. That's a, a thing that they even address in this conversation between... Kirk and Spock because Spock's like should we keep going and Kirk is like this is Star Trek yeah Kirk is going to boldly go because that's what Kirk does but he kind of like bounces the idea off of Spock and then Spock is like why do you even ask me man like you you're gonna you're gonna boldly go you're Kirk I like how the recitation of the of the mission is is a great answer to anyone who may be fearful. Right. And it's not it's definitely not Spock that's fearful. Spock just wants to know what's going to happen next, but to a person like a uh, Bailey, it matters a great deal. He and he needs to hear what the mission is to like ground him. Yeah. I thought it was also interesting that Bailey does not get a told you so moment in in this scene right. like Instead of Bailey being like, well, I guess I was right about that whole shoot it first, ask questions later thing, Kirk is like, hey, Bailey, your phaser crews suck. Can you fucking whip them into shape now? Yeah. (laughs) I remember giving the order to fire and then nothing happening for a very pregnant couple of seconds. It was like I was trying to podcast on the internet and there was like a lot of lag in between me and the person I was communicating with. And uh, we want to edit those those little lag points out of the episode, not waste our listeners time. Yeah. Rob would really appreciate that. (laughs) So Kirk does that thing where he drops the practice bomb on the bridge before leaving. Yeah. Hey, hey, get it together. Tighten it up, because by the time I get back, I'm going to need it super tight. And then he he bails into the turbo lift with McCoy. Yeah. Your timing is lousy, Jack. That's a kind of boss I dread. <laughs> the kind of boss that's just like, hey, uh, while I'm gone, get way better at your jobs, everyone. Okay, later. <laughs> it's such a power move. Get better because you need to get on my level. I don't need to participate in the getting betterness. Right. I'm already there. You guys need to get up here. In the turbo lift, McCoy and Kirk have another moment where they talk about Bailey 
And McCoy is of the opinion that he was promoted too fast. McCoy's like, you can see it. Everyone else can. Bailey fucking sucks. And, and you're riding him too hard. Bailey is like the Peter principle on the entrepreneur. Kirk isn't that manager that's like, you just don't see what I see in Bailey. He's great. And he's <laughs> going to be great. And he's going to prove it. I like the dark part of this is that Kirk isn't willing to admit a mistake in promoting Bailey and is pushing back on McCoy for questioning the decision. Yeah, it's kind of a, a weird tension between Kirk's own like pride in self and also the narcissism of minor differences because McCoy accuses Kirk of promoting him fast because Kirk sees a lot of himself in Bailey. Right. And I think we see a lot of Kirk and Bailey later on. <laughs> we sure do. Uh <laughs> This also establishes that uh, Kirk and McCoy are old drinking buddies because they uh, they head back to Kirk's quarters and uh, pour themselves something else. I don't know what this is. It's not what we're drinking. No, it's definitely not Tranya, but it, it kind of it looks like it kind of comes from like a Bulls cheapo bottle that like triple sec comes in. It looks like a little bit of a sherry glass though too, right? Up and little. Mm-hmm. I like the glass a lot actually. Up and little is is my call sign. <laughs> what are you going to do with that 6% when they give it to you, Jim? So they're hanging out. Kirk is like, you mind if I eat? <laughs> it's not even Kirk. It's uh, Yeoman Rand comes in and says, uh, you better you better put something in your face because you haven't in a while. And uh turns out that uh, the computer has been changed and he, he's, uh, he's now forced to eat dietary salad because of a, a decision that the doctor made. How much more unpleasant than salad is dietary salad? <laughs> I wonder. I like a salad, but yeah. boy, if you're if you're putting guardrails on the salad for for nutritional reasons, for dietary reasons, it does not look enjoyable. That salad looked rough. It did not look well dressed, and it didn't look like it had much of a variety to it. Right. I think uh, Kirk is a little more interested in eating Yeoman Rand than, <laughs> than he is in, yeah. in the salad, TBH. The salad is not so interesting to me as that deli platter. Right. You can tell right away that there's a spark here. Yeah. And uh, and he, he calls it out. He says, like, I can't believe Starfleet Command put a, uh, a snack like that on my Yeoman duty. Yeah, things are really changing around Starfleet. They know about my appetite. Not to mention the strange black woman they put on my bridge. I mean, <laughs> what's up with that? Uh, he can't. He can't quite plow through this salad the way he would like to plow through Yeoman Rand because they get a uh, they get an urgent message from the bridge that they're picking up another contact on radar, and uh, this thing is way bigger. Uh, than the cube ever was. So he throws his napkin down on top of his dietary salad and they rush up to the bridge. Bigger, greater energy reading. And uh, and we see this thing on screen and it's this giant sphere covered in like Christmas lights. And uh, by the time they're nose to nose with this thing, it's obvious that it is like a zillion times bigger than the entrepreneur. It's uh, it, it fills up the screen, Adam. They did a great job with the sense of scale with this thing. Yeah. And like every other remastering in this episode, it looks great. Yeah, because Hulu used to have the unremastered original series, and I guess at some point they they changed it to the HD version. 
And uh, I like that was such a great resource to like go back and look at what it used to look like. Yeah, we don't have that anymore. I I guess I probably could have looked on YouTube. I bet this I bet this stuff is all on YouTube. I was able to compare stills, and mm-hmm. stills gave you a good idea of the differences. But wow, I mean, to the extent that there are even differences, that's how much better this is. Yeah, looks dope. This is again is a thing that they are trying to communicate with and not getting anything back initially until finally they do it's coming in through the navigation beam that's the problem like the hailing frequency gets nothing but but bailey is like hey guys uh the nav beam has got a message how about we listen to it when they do it's and and his ship is called the Fisarius. and uh and then we cut to david letterman up on the stage and he introduces them bailey baylock baylock Bailey. And it really does not go over well. And David Letterman never gets invited back to host Star Trek, the the original series. Baylock is pissed, and rightly so, because the entrepreneur destroyed their warning bois and just continued on like it was nothing. What's up, shitheads? It's me, your boy, the number one warning boy. The number one warning, boy. All you gotta do is trust me. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, and and this is like extremely frustrating to them because like this thing is doing all the procedures wrong. Like it's talking to them through the navigation. It's not giving them the the face to face like they like with the FaceTime, <laughs> and it's very threatening. I really like the science fiction of misunderstanding. And this is an episode that really that really makes that the core of the conflict. Yeah. Like like they didn't know what they did back there. They didn't know how serious of an offense it was and how it would be taken. And and it seems like it seems like one of the main kinds of stories that should and could be told in science fiction right. because when you when you oppose two different cultures that are totally alien to each other, what I mean, misunderstanding should be the most frequent kind of conflict. Yeah. It really reminds me of that TNG scene where Troy is in the ready room and she like holds up a cup of tea in front of Picard and says like, when I say like a word for this, you might interpret it as hot, you might interpret it as brown, you might interpret it as wet. And 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 like the way that you see the world and the way I see the world, we know to be very similar, but like we're going to be communicating with an alien species that might conceive of the world in totally different ways that we can't imagine. And this is like an early version of that kind of story. And they cannot convince Balak that like this was an honest mistake, like that this happened in like in good faith. They tried to get away from this thing. They weren't here to mess about and they destroyed it because it seemed like the only way they could survive their encounter with it. Bailey is becoming a huge liability here because he cannot, if he is doing a thing, he's doing that thing late. Yeah. And, and the next thing they try to do is like, all right, well, this is a, this is a scandal and a bad thing we're involved in. Let's go send a warning marker out so other ships avoid the area. And this is a thing that the Fasarius destroys right away. Yeah. And Bailey could barely get it together enough to even send this thing out. Recorder marker is a good idea. I would love that to be just like kind of routine, right. like bridge banter in any situation where a starship is about to head into something that might be dangerous. I agree. 
And it's so rarely used that way. Yeah. It's at this point that the Viserys is like, look, not only are we not going to allow you to communicate with anyone else, uh, but this is a death sentence. You have 10 minutes to pray to whatever deity that we know you to have. Because one of the things that the Viserys does is scan the ship and it reads all of its its logs and computer databases. Like It's got a pretty good grasp of of the capabilities over there. What Spock devotes himself to in this 10 minutes is, what do these guys look like? Let's see if we can get them on screen. There's like three minutes here that are unintentionally funny. Yeah. Because because what Spock chooses to do is hilarious. The Kirk face that he makes when he realizes that the Fasarius's message has been transmitted to the rest of the ship and he's got to be like, all right, I better follow up with a message of my own. <laughs> Is awesome. Yeah. He improvises a really great message to the rest of the ship, like on the heels of the Fasarius message, which is great. But it feels like Kirk and the rest of the crew are on their heels just entirely. It's great. Yeah. It's great to see them them play from this far back. When they get Balak on the screen, Balak is a extremely janky puppet man. I was curious to see how they appeared. This is a thing you see in all the Halloween stores that no one has ever bought in the history of Halloween. <laughs> no one has ever bought the waiter. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. The waiter monster with the tray. Yeah. That's what Balak looks like to me. Yeah. I think the thing that's sad about Balak is that Balak is presenting himself as being like this exquisitely advanced uh, intelligence that is you know, considers them to be but an ant that he's about to crush because they blew up his bois. And yet Balak is chiming in every 60 seconds with, you now have seven of your earth minutes. <laughs> yeah, he's not doing himself any favors. It's not really like lending any credibility to his claims. He should switch to text. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would help him. Yeah. No relationship has ever uh, been improved by switch to text, but this one might. That's what I'm saying. Like normally, if you feel an argument heating up, you want to get out of text. Yeah. You want to switch to voice or in person. Yeah. You want face to face. Do you want to? You want to de-escalate? Right. Um, Bailey basically, you know, has his second like big blow up in this in this period where he's like, "Are you guys?" fucking nuts like we're all gonna die and you're just sitting around like puzzling through and trying to figure out how we can get Baylock on the screen and shit this is nuts it's crazy how well Starfleet Academy has screened out we're all gonna die guy <laughs> like in the history of Starfleet you get him so rarely yeah yeah and here is Bailey yeah like ready to be that <laughs> the first and last we're all gonna die guy in Star Trek yeah. history he, uh, he has to get escorted off the bridge by the doctor. It's got to hurt Dr. McCoy to do this because, like, he saw this coming. Yeah. He warned Kirk. Anybody that we get, like, the close-up to in this moment does that, like, like <laughs> you hate to see it face. I love when Bailey loses it. He's doing such a... Bill Shatner is Captain Kirk impression yeah. that it's like you can tell that his like what he does here is the thing that made him the star of Starfleet Academy improv like 
<laughs> There's almost a uh, an impressed feeling around the crew watching this happen. Yeah. You can't tell if Bailey's more in trouble for breaking down or just doing an impression of Captain Kirk here. It's the end of everything. What are you, robots? Baylock uh, is not listening to reason. Kirk is is trying to say like, listen, man, you've scanned all the all the tapes on our tape driven computer system. You know that we we were just trying to get away from that thing. This was this is a simple misunderstanding. Like, can we come to some agreement on on that at least? Um, I love the line from Baylock. We grow annoyed of your foolishness. That's a mood. <laughs> That's a uh, something I'm gonna I'm gonna use on shitty internet comments going forward yeah Uh, Yeah, put that in the back pocket yeah very impressed with Baylock's uh just just like total disregard for for Kirk trying to reason with them there this episode basks in the amount of time left as a warning and lets you sit in it almost dialogue free for the next long while I feel like in a way that I thought was like I feel like the episode was trying to increase tension with this but as a as a modern viewer, I was most impressed with how willing it was to just like sit back, let you do the tension yourself, basically. Yeah, you're you're doing, <laughs> you're you're jacking yourself off <laughs> during this. The show's not doing anything. The show is watching you. Is yeah. what's happening in this moment. The show likes to watch. I loved it. It never telegraphs like how we're gonna get out of this because like. Kirk comes up with a pretty good idea, which is this is poker, not chess. But like even when Spock suggests they're in checkmate, you don't get the poker thing. Like Kirk turns that around in like the last minute that they're that they're there. Right. And it turns out to work. Like the title of the episode, the Corbomite Maneuver, is that Kirk says, Oh yeah, this ship is actually riddled with Corbomite, and uh, it's a device where if you shoot us the ship will reflect an equal ray back at you. And uh, it's never not worked in 200 years, so uh, we don't encode that into the computers. We wouldn't want an entity like you to get that secret. So you're just going to have to trust me on that, buddy. Corbomite is a very rubber V-glue technology. <laughs> and it works. Uh, the uh, the time the timer runs out, and uh, there are those pregnant moments afterwards where they're waiting for the sort of Damocles to fall on their heads, and it doesn't. It's clench and release. It's great. I love that clench and release. <laughs> I love how how the, the timer winds down. There are moments of just nothing, like post-timer. Yeah. They're like, what's going to happen? And then Baylock gets on the blower, and he's like, we're going to put like a five-minute break here. We're just going to take a break. We're going to figure this out. But while we're thinking... Uh, we want to see the schematics on the Corbomite device. Yeah. If you please. <laughs> That's not something we're released to the public. Sorry, sorry, buddy. No can do. This is classic Kirk. Classic Kirk is don't answer the hail right away. Mm-hmm. Classic Kirk is when he finally answers the hail, denying the request. He's got the leverage back. Yeah. You wait for me. Kirk starts taking off his tunic and tying it around his neck like... It's time to get a little shirtless here, boys. <laughs> I'm starting to feel hot. <laughs> a little sweaty under the collar. Could anyone go for any coffee <laughs> is an unasked question. An unasked question that Yeoman Rand answers with her appearance on the bridge. 
Yeah, shows up with some phaser coffee that she made um, because everything else is broken. It's sort of a, like a phaser AeroPress situation mm-hmm. that, that Yeoman Ray yeah. admits to. <laughs> we know that they keep firearms in the in the galley right. of starships. We know this from uh, Undiscovered Country. Yeah. Do you think she uh, filled the AeroPress with, with grounds and then poured some hot water over top and was letting it steep and then had it positioned over the cup and just fired a phaser that caused the AeroPress <laughs> to disappear but the coffee to fall into the cup? They installed the alarm technology much much later, though, because <laughs> as Star Trek VI taught us, no one can shoot an unauthorized phaser aboard a starship. Well, maybe uh, maybe that's one of the systems that Balok knocked out. Maybe so. Yeah. Balok has a plan. Yeah, he's going to give him a toe. Uh, they're going to go have to live the rest of their lives on a planet he has selected for them. And uh, he's not going to do it with his big fancy ship. He's going to send a little tow ship to do it. And this is a third kind of starship that we're introduced to. It's not the cube. It's not the giant sphere. It's just a, a, a small collection of the of the little glowing orbs that make up the sphere. Did this inspire Kirk's uh, punishment of Khan, do you think? Oh, interesting. The whole, like, you're not going to kill us. You're instead going to tow us to a planet. <laughs> And destroy our ship after we're beamed down. Yeah, we're gonna like leave you at this great place. It's called SETI Alpha Five. You're gonna love it. I wonder. Kirk has a long memory. I love how Balok is very self-conscious about the size of his vessel. <laughs> like as soon as this little this little speck pops off, Balok is like, "It is a grower and not a shower." <laughs> also, it is very cold in space. Why else do you think they? serve revenge there (laughs) revenge famously the coldest of dishes honestly there has been more shrinkage than i would like (laughs) so they're getting towed and uh and they start to do the math they're like this is a small ship like its power production can only be so much so maybe maybe we could actually break away from the tractor beam that's on us now in a way that we couldn't before and uh and so they're gonna try this and this is like a very long sequence of them just like slowly increasing how much resistance they're putting on this tractor beam trying to like kind of shoot off it and at a right angle to the direction they're getting pulled and straining their engines to the breaking point where you know we're watching all the little all the little meters go you know past 11 on the on the consoles, we're watching the the crew down in the hallways uh, bang back and forth against the walls, um, and uh, you know, getting Spock telling us that we're you know two thousand degrees over engine tolerances and stuff like that. Again, like this is this seems like a classic kind of science fiction thing. Like you have great power, but you can only use very little of it or you risk burning out the system that makes it possible, right? Yeah. And it seems like this the amount of power that they have is like the perfect amount because they push their ship basically as hard as it can go to break free. They watch all the like all the lights on Baylock's tow ship grow more and more intense and then like you know right at the point where they would have to decide okay, shut it down. This didn't work. Uh, it works. And and they break away 
and then they're like, well, okay, like we should probably just like run as fast as we can now, except for we just fucking shredded our engine doing that. I like the the forcing function of this. Like in any other circumstance, you know they would peace out. Yeah. But they but they can't. So they decide to linger. What they've learned by Baylock's ship's distress signal is that its engines are out and its life support is failing. Right. They hear a, a distress call that's going from the tow ship back to the mothership. And Kirk is like, all right, we got to help. And everybody's like, what? And he's like, you, you heard the opening. Seek out new life and new civilization. Like we boldly went and now we're going to seek out the new life. You know, like we got to be, we got to do the right thing by these guys. Kirk extends a finger to the view screen. He's like, there might be something worth fucking over there. <laughs> <laughs> Look at those round, supple orbs. <laughs> you asked me if there was anything in space worth fucking. Well, there it sits. <laughs> so they're going to beam over. He's going to bring two people. He's like, all right, the doctor and who else? Who else? Who has made this episode all about themselves? All right. Lieutenant Bailey. Hair trigger Bailey. Wants, uh, wants Bailey to look into the face of the unknown. He owes him that. In the transporter room, Scotty distributes the away team fanny sash <laughs> that they that they hang their gear onto, which is great. And then they, they do a beam over bent over. Yeah, because it's like a, a shorter ship than the entrepreneur is. The, they have lower ceilings. Why did this never happen again? I know. People, like, <laughs> the idea of, of crouching even isn't isn't a quality of beaming over to other ships the way it should be. Yeah, we've seen a couple of times where they beam out where like everybody's facing outward with their gun up. Yeah, yeah. But like the idea of crouching is really fun and they beam yeah. over and they are indeed like six inches, heads are six inches from the ceiling because it is a very short space and they walk in and they find the uh, the head of Baylock and uh, and it is indeed a janky puppet, Adam. It is Baylock holding a server's tray. <laughs> Kirk mentions like, no one ever buys that thing at the Halloween store. Yeah, it's like, why do they even put it in the store? Because it's not like, it doesn't really make you want to buy anything. It's not like something anyone is interested in but it's like somehow part of the merchandising of a halloween store all the time it feels like if you if you run on a halloween store you need a premium item yeah something with a high dollar value and yet <laughs> no one wants to spend five hundred dollars on on monster waiter yeah that's an extravagance no one is willing to pay for yeah why would you and clearly uh neither has Baylock invested much in this puppet or in his costume because the uh <laughs> The curtain goes up and the Wizard of Oz is revealed. It is six-year-old Clint Howard. Yeah, apolitical Clint Howard is what we get here, which <laughs> which means we can like him. Yeah, this is this was Clint Howard before he was a shithead. <laughs> Little six-year-old Clint Howard has the eyebrows of a Philip Baker Hall, though. Just, <laughs> just giant eyebrow game, which is great. I think if you're a makeup person in this era, you want the eyebrows to cover the bald cap. And I think you get the benefit of that here. Yeah. Uh, I read that the makeup director on this episode wanted to wanted to bick Clint Howard's head and his dad was like, no fucking way. 
so so they did the bald cap but uh but the eyebrows were a great touch to kind of like carry the effect across um i my wife was uh was in the room when i was watching this episode and i was like get a load of six-year-old clint howard here and she was like he looks exactly the same one of the things i really like about this episode is is that doubling down of misunderstanding right like the misunderstanding of blowing up a bois mm-hmm. led to the conflict with with Baylock later on. And now, according to Baylock, the test is over. It's time for drinks. Chill out on my on my drinking couch and and play some catch up with me. But the thing is, it's too soon. It's too soon for Kirk and Bailey. They're they're reluctant to have the drink when the when the Tranya is produced. They think. It's another trap. And I love how the rules are different between these two aliens, right? According to Baylock, the testing is over. It's time it's time for hangs. Yeah. But but the the memory is a lot longer for Kirk. It's interesting. This like for as many scenes that just lingered in a moment of tension early in this episode, mm-hmm. this scene goes so fast. And yeah. it asks us to suspend disbelief about some stuff really quickly. Like, it's like, yeah, like, we're going to sit here and, like, chill with this dude who is explaining to us that he was testing us and we passed the test. And, like, now we can ask him all the questions we want and also, like, leave a an officer as part of, like, a newly established exchange program between our two peoples. And they're like, wait a second, like, we... <laughs> We just, uh, you know, we just felt like we were about to die like 30 seconds ago. I love how basically they're still having this conversation with the, when the credits roll. Yeah. It's awesome. They, like they are hammering out details of diplomatic shit between their people. And these are like, you know, the first, you know, 15 sentences exchanged between Baylock and them. I love how this is a mutually agreeable situation because Bailey isn't happy working for Kirk. Kirk isn't happy having Bailey on his bridge. Yeah. Baylock is like, well, I'd like to keep one of you around. Which one is it going to be? Like, it's it's a perfect solution to this problem. Yeah. And I love when uh, when Baylock is like, cool. So Bailey is like the ideal human. And everybody's <laughs> like, no, far from it. Far from it. He's going to want to shoot a lot of things while he's over here. <laughs> he's sort of the first Wesley and Traveler situation, right? Like the way that they sort of dropped Wesley off with the Traveler and, and they did that pretty fast. Feels like the same thing is in play here. Yeah. Well, did you like the Corbomite maneuver, Adam? I I loved it. It's what I did. Ben, this, is, this was great. This was a real delight. Yeah. You look up the Corbomite maneuver and you see the fucking picture of the of the Halloween store waiter and you're like, this is going to suck dick. It's going to be it's going to be the worst episode. Like, how could we do this to ourselves? Yeah. But the episode is great. And that's because it's great science fiction. Like, I feel like great science fiction supersedes science fiction effects. Yeah. In a way that like classic uh Outer Limits was able to do, right? Sure, sure. It, it exceeded because the story was so strong in spite of itself. And and I feel like that's what happened with this episode. I think, I think the one big takeaway I'm going to get from this is how much of this episode was spent in silence. 
just thinking about the next move, whether it was during the countdown or post countdown when they were being towed. Yeah. The respect that the episode gives you as a viewer to just kind of sit in it <laughs> and 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 like think about what might happen next with the crew. You don't get that ever with with modern television at all. And I, I loved it. I loved how unique it felt to go back and do that and experience a story the way that we did. Loved it. What about you? I did too. You know, there's something to be said for fancy production set pieces. And um, we sure get a lot of them in Star Trek Picard and Star Trek Discovery. But um, but I totally agree. Like, it's like a Dr. Dre beat this episode. Like, there's like big, long gaps between the base and the snare and they are a part of the beat, you know, and it fucking slaps. Which one is my camera? Is this, okay, I see the camera. No other Star Trek show is going to compare an original series episode with a Dr. Dre beat besides <laughs> Greatest Discovery. <laughs> Nicely done, Ben. Um, yeah. Do you want to see if we have any Priority One messages? Yeah, I'm on my way there right now. Okay. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Ben, our first Priority One message is from Dingman. <laughs> it is to COVID-19. Wow. Uh, COVID-19, big fan of the show. Yeah. Loyal listener. Oddly, like, one of our biggest financial supporters. <laughs> I mean, thank you, but also, I mean, no thank you. <laughs> <laughs> The message goes like this. The sheer fucking hubris. <laughs> and that's the end of the message. Good times. I'm with you, Dingman. I, I do not enjoy the hubris of this COVID-19. When you fill out a uh, the form on MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, uh, you have an, an opportunity to request a date, which is not guaranteed by any means but uh but if you've got like a like a date that you're shooting for you can uh you can try for it and if if they can't accommodate you on the calendar they will and uh what dingman requested was asap while we're all in quarantine shit that'll probably be a while (laughs) dingman had no idea uh just how evergreen his message would be i think uh thanks dingman I think you're saying what everyone is thinking. Yeah. Our second P1 is from Ryan from Sacramento, and it's for Ben and Adam. And it goes like this. Greetings from NorCal in this time of plague. I wish this could be one of those P1s where I drop cool inside jokes to my friends, but let's just say that maybe I appreciate your podcast because they're helping me through all the work I'm doing instead of making them. Thanks again for all you do. More TOS in the off-season? Just a thought. Oh, Ryan from Sacramento gets it. Yeah, Ryan really nailed it this time. Um, We might be doing a lot of TOS, given how we still don't know when Discovery is coming back. It's true. Um, Well, we'll have to make a decision about that eventually. But in the meantime, you can support our program by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and getting a priority one message. It's 100 bucks for a personal message or 200 for a commercial message. It's not the only way to support, but it's one we sure appreciate. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are 
delicious, fresh, never frozen chef crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a Edward Larkin? I did. I'm going to give it to Yeoman Rand for her phaser coffee. Uh, I just like I wrote down in my notes like Yeoman Rand does not give a fuck because she walks onto the ridge like 
she's she's there to cut the tension. Like I I can see why she's there from a story standpoint, but uh, from a being a yeoman standpoint, it's like yeesh, pick a moment <laughs> other than this. There are people on the bridge who are full on wearing the eye mask that says "Do not wake me for beverage service." <laughs> yeoman Rand just charges right through that. Yeah, sir, it's time to get up. <laughs> Uh, did you have an Edward Larkin, Adam? It's really hard to choose between Bailey and McCoy. Bailey for for the improv scene that he does yeah. at Kirk and McCoy for for lying about the red alert. <laughs> I feel like the Bailey scene is more fun to me. So I'm going to go with Bailey of the two sides of that coin. Yeah. And plus, we're never going to see Bailey again. So yeah. um, I like to give my Edward Larkins to those who may not ever get the chance. Fair, fair. Uh, I'm into it. Well, we need to get into what we might do in a couple of weeks. Ben, do you have any ideas? Boy, tough call. Um, I mean, we could always do more TOS. I think that would be my vote. Okay, let's do that. Yeah, we saw that old Romulan warship in Star Trek Picard, and it made me wonder more about the origins of the Romulans. Maybe we should research some of their deal and it looks like balance of terror would be a good original series episode with which to do that so season one episode 14 of the original series will be the next thing we cover on this show fun come back in a couple of weeks for that and then we'll leave it with robs from here the greatest discovery is a maximum fun podcast hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. The show is produced and edited by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is produced by Friend of DeSoto and YouTube sensation Adam Ragusia. The Greatest Discovery is a podcast that's made possible by the support of listeners like you. To make sure that we continue to make episodes, visit MaximumFun.org slash join and pledge your support. By doing so, you'll gain access to all of the Maximum Fun bonus content, including our bonus episodes. If you want to chat about the show on various forms of social media, just search for our discussion groups or use the hashtag GreatestDiscovery. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR, Adam is found at CutForTime, and I'm at Rob K. Schulte. Thanks! MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.